Hey, Playmakers, real quick before we get into today's episode, if you're one of those listeners that just cannot wait for that next episode to drop, and if you're over on YouTube and my website binging my content there, I just wanted to say thank you. It means the world to me. But just remember, the free stuff will only get you so far. So if you want my complete proven blueprint for opening a successful and sustainable play cafe or indoor playground business that is profitable from day one, I want to invite you to join me inside my signature course, Play Cafe Academy. Head to the show notes right now to get instant on-demand access to all 12 modules, your detailed pre-launch checklist, your 34-page business plan template, your plug-and-play financial model to help you estimate your startup costs and project your revenue, and everything you need to save time, money, and frustration throughout your entire opening process. For a limited time right now, you'll also get an entire month of free access to Playmaker Society, my invite-only membership created exclusively for Play Cafe Academy students who want to work with me personally to optimize and scale their businesses through coaching, guest experts, legal and operations templates, and plug-and-play resources, plus collaboration with over 220 other owners, plus so much more. Head to the show notes and choose your preferred way to pay in full or over time right now. You'll get more information on the current bonuses. You'll see some success stories of those who have gone before you and exactly what to expect when you join us inside the program. I will see you there. If you're in the play and party business and you want to operate with more ease and joy, all while making the living you dreamed of, I created the Profitable Play Podcast just for you. Join me, your host, Michelle Caruana, for Small But Mighty Tips Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays that will all add up to a big impact on your mindset, your business, and your bottom line. Stick with me to keep the passion and grow the profit in your play or party-based business. All right, Playmakers, welcome back and happy Friday. This is part two of my two-part series where I'm sharing some of the most critical hiring and team management tips that quite literally saved my sanity as an indoor playground owner. And these are all tips that I really wish someone had given to me when I was first getting started. Because let me tell you, hearing these tips way back at the beginning would have saved me so much time, energy, and frustration. And it would have definitely prevented me from making some mistakes that caused me to lose some really awesome and valuable team members. And given the current hiring landscape that we're facing in 2023 and beyond, that is the last thing that we can afford to do. So before we get into tips seven through 12 today, since I already covered tips one through six in part one of this series, so go back and listen to part one if you haven't yet. I just wanted to really quickly remind you that if you find these tips and episodes helpful, the best way to let me know is to leave a rating and written review wherever you are listening today. It takes less than a minute, and I swear to you, reading your reviews is the highlight of my day, and they really keep me going, and they let me know that, again, this is something that you guys want to hear, and you guys like this podcast, and it helps me keep putting out episodes consistently. So take a quick second and leave a review if you haven't yet. And if you have, first of all, thank you. I appreciate you. 
But if you already have, take a screenshot and share it to your Instagram stories or share it with a business friend. Again, I appreciate it so much. The last thing I wanted to mention before we get into this episode is that this series ended up being quite a bit more robust than I was originally expecting. So I actually created a condensed version of all 12 tips in a PDF download that you can access for free right now in the show notes. That's my little gift to you if you've made it this far already. Some of my little stories and anecdotes will only live in the actual audio episode, but again, the tips are in an easy-to-save format at the link right at the top of the show notes to make implementing these tips just a little bit easier on you. All right, let's get into it. And again, if you missed the title of this episode or my little recap, these are hiring and team management tips that quite literally saved my sanity as an indoor playground owner. And these are all tips kind of just in a compiled format that I wish someone had given to me when I first opened my brick and mortar business. So tip number seven, I had clear standard operating procedures. Now, this is something I've talked about extensively in episode 11 of this podcast. That's one of my all-time favorite episodes. And in that episode, I shared that creating and abiding by standard operating procedures or SOPs was not something I started out doing or even thinking that I really needed for a small indoor playground business, right? I thought that was something that these big corporations needed and that I didn't really need to bother with. But the more practice the team and I got performing our everyday tasks, like cleaning the espresso machine, booking a party, making a latte, counting the cash drawer, prepping the fridge for the next day's shift, placing cleaning supply orders, constructing a balloon garland, you know, all the day-to-day tasks that add up to an indoor playground business, the more we did these daily tasks, the more we realized that there were definitely sets of quote-unquote best practices when it came to each. But again, early on, I thought, you know, I could be the cool boss and let everyone choose their own way of doing things and figure out what method worked best for them. And while my intentions were good here, I swear this completely backfired. And I think this was kind of rooted in me coming from a very strict corporate background. I mean, I could barely even wear pants to work. I had to wear dresses and, you know, pantsuits and, or not pantsuits, but like skirt suits and things like that. And I just wanted to be the complete opposite of that. But I went a little too far with this. I, you know, cool managered or cool bossed a little bit too close to the sun here because, like I said, this completely backfired. This lacks attitude surrounding some of our business's most critical functions created an inconsistent level of service that our customers definitely started to notice. And it was starting to be reflected in our feedback and online reviews. So I had to take a step back and say, whoa, I have got to get this under control. So I called the team meeting. And by the way, just for some context here, this was in the early, early days. So before we actually had a formal manager, we did have like a shift leader that was really just based on seniority, but not a true manager. So I called our team together and I asked for feedback. And (laughs) I laugh about this because they probably thought that I was just asking as a formality to make them feel valued and included in the conversation and in the process. But I was quite literally at a loss at this point. And I was begging them for help. 
Again, as I mentioned in part one of this series, I was very pregnant and it was not an easy pregnancy. And I also had an 18 month old at home and my husband was traveling Monday through Friday each week. You know, I was quite literally the definition of going through it. And the consensus among my team was that because there was no set standard or expectation or set way of doing anything, they were spending more time being confused or being retrained by their colleagues or just arguing about the best way to do things than they did actually serving our customers or moving the business forward. While I thought I was giving them freedom to be creative, I was really throwing them into an extremely confusing and stressful environment, which caused them to field complaint after complaint from customers and just get super burned out and frustrated super quickly. And unbeknownst to me at the time, it's why some of our earliest employees had actually quit. So I am almost getting ahead of myself and into one of the next tips I have here, but if you have not listened to episode 11 about what standard operating procedures are, why you and your team need them, and a step-by-step of how to create them, head to the show notes after this episode and make that a priority. And if you're in Play Cafe Academy or Playmaker Society, I actually give you all of our standard operating procedure manuals. So it is hundreds of pages of step-by-step-by-step how we did every single thing. And what I love about these standard operating procedure manuals that I created for you guys is that they are completely customizable. You can open them up using a free canva.com account and you can add your own branding, you can add your own logos, and you can customize each standard operating procedure to your own business. So for example, if you have a different espresso machine model than me and the steps to clean it are a little bit different. But again, I've gotten you 80% of the way there. And again, there are hundreds and hundreds of pages. So that might seem like a lot, but I promise you it's going to save you hundreds of hours and it's really going to make your employee training process a breeze, and it's going to help you deliver that consistent level of service. And in episode 11, I also talk about how you can take this to the next level and create video standard operating procedures and walkthroughs of each task in your business so that you can save time, energy, and money every single time you need to train an employee and create a more enjoyable work environment for all. And As I mentioned, it will elevate the level of service that you're able to give your customers and it will make it so much more consistent, which is what people want and expect. So this one's a win all around. All right, tip number eight, I removed bottlenecks in our business processes. So the key to maximizing the effectiveness of the last tip I gave, creating SOPs, is to make a concerted effort to ensure that the standard operating procedures are actually the best and most efficient way to do things. And one key thing to keep in mind here is that the definition of best might change over time and you might need to adapt them as your business grows. So for example, at the beginning of your business journey, it might be completely reasonable and sustainable to have your team answer every party call that comes in to take down their information, answer questions, and complete a booking for them if needed. But as Christine, the owner of Sweet Peas Play Cafe in Kokomo, Indiana, brilliantly pointed out in a recent Playmaker Society group coaching call, 
At some point, your call volume might just become more than your in-person staff can handle. And that was also certainly true for us. So in that case, sure, at one time, your SOP would be considered a best practice. But now that you have this increased call volume, which is a good thing, right? It's a good problem to have. But now that old process is creating a bottleneck for both your team and your customers, meaning, you know, there's way too many calls coming in and you just can't sort through them and serve them all effectively. And that's causing you to lose out on bookings and sales. So maybe your customers are competing with other callers or experiencing long wait times, causing them to hang up and call the next facility on their list. Or maybe your team members are starting to grow a little bit impatient on these calls because remember, they're also responsible for serving tons of in-person customers at the same time, leading to a serious decline in customer service for both the caller and anyone visiting that day who may be trying to order a drink or ask questions about parties themselves. Again, I'm sharing this from my own experience and having to identify that specific bottleneck and needing to be proactive enough to say, hey, this has got to change now that we're growing and expanding. So in episode 105 of this podcast, I discuss how we adapted a call forwarding system and Christine is now finding herself needing to implement something similar along with a remote team member to be able to maintain her team's high level of customer service as her business grows and gets busier and busier. And our call forwarding system looked a little bit different. So again, I walked through it all in episode 105, but basically somebody would call our facility and they would immediately get a quick message that would say, hey, for our hours, press one, and it was a recorded message. So again, we're reducing the call volume going through to our in-person staff, making their lives so much easier because to be honest, like 90% of the calls we got were simply asking, are you open? So we kept an updated message that people could listen to at their convenience. So again, press one for our hours, press two to speak to a staff member, right? If they had something other than the hours or parties that they wanted to ask about. And then press three if you have a party or event question. Now, depending on the time of day, depending on the day of the week, our call forwarding system was smart enough to know, okay, you know, on Tuesdays after 9 p.m., Michelle is available, but, you know, on Wednesdays before noon, she is not available. So based on that, the call would either go to myself or go to our manager. So again, this allowed us to almost triage these calls coming in and make sure that the right person got the right call and that that customer was served at the highest level possible. So I love call forwarding systems and we only paid like $10 a month for this service, which again, I detail and link in episode 105. But I was really happy when Christine brought up this problem because again, it means that her parties and her business are in very high demand. So a good problem to have, but still a problem that needs to be solved. So be sure to be on the lookout for these bottlenecks that will inevitably arise kind of like growing pains for your business and carve time out each month at least to review them. 
I talk a lot more about how to specifically identify bottlenecks in episode 124 of this podcast. And I give some examples of where other bottlenecks might arise other than, you know, incoming calls. But much of it will also come from keeping an open line of communication with your team. And by this, I don't mean, you know, just saying, hey, feel free to let me know if you notice anything that needs to change. Because depending on your team's personality type, this may be way too, you know, open-ended and way too intimidating for them to actually take action and bring you these issues. So instead, especially when you're in a period of rapid growth or expansion, meet with your manager or your team and specifically ask them about their day-to-day and if there are any tasks that were once manageable that have become less so. And bonus points if you can identify these early enough before they really start to affect either team morale or your customer's level of service that they receive. All right, tip number nine. My manager and I left little to no guesswork for the other team members. And I kind of alluded to this earlier in the episode where I was getting kind of ahead of myself, but I learned early on that many of my employees, especially my non-managerial employees, had a lot going on in their lives. And their lives certainly didn't revolve around my small business like my own life did. They didn't want to come to work and have to, you know, roll up their sleeves and figure out what the heck was going on that day or what needed to get done or what they were supposed to do or what was expected of them. They wanted to walk in, have a realistic and reasonable task list handed to them. They wanted a quick debrief about what was happening that day and what the priorities were. And then they quite honestly wanted to shut their brains off and just go through the motions. And that's not to say that working in the cafe wasn't fun for them or that it didn't allow them to be creative. But when you're a college student or a high school student walking out of a final exam or, you know, after you play a big sports tournament or something like that, or if you have, you know, something going on in your friend group, you know, teenage problems, the last thing you want to do is walk into a chaotic work environment where you have no idea what to expect for the day and have to work way too hard and use way too much energy to figure out how the heck you can be successful at your job that day. I remember when I was working at Wegmans, a supermarket, before I worked at the corporate headquarters, I was a cashier and I stocked shelves. And honestly, when I was in graduate graduate school, stocking shelves, and specifically I stocked health and beauty care, so like shampoo, vitamins, things like that, It was my absolute ideal job at the time because, you know, no, it wasn't, you know, exciting. It wasn't invigorating my passions or, you know, I wasn't going to put shampoo aisle stocker on my resume, but it allowed me to kind of, again, turn my brain off and just relax and do my job, go through the motions, get paid because the rest of my days were filled with stress and problem solving and You know, I didn't want to have to walk into a job at that particular time in my life and have to continue on problem solving, decision making, things like that. It's just too much for our team members who are in high school or college or who just did not work enough hours with us to be as intimately familiar with the nuances of our business as myself or our manager was. And this was something I really could only learn from constantly asking for feedback from our team. 
This also allowed us to be more fair and equitable when it came to dispersing roles and tasks. So for example, if employee A cleaned the plate area and employee B served cake at a party, they would switch for the next party because to be honest, there was definitely a preference for cleaning the plate area, which honestly surprised me a little bit, but serving cake is a little bit more intimidating, right? People would bring in these like $500 multi-layer fondant cakes and everyone's staring at you. It's a very active role. You have to have a smile on your face. Whereas cleaning the plate area and organizing is one of those, you know, shut your brain off, go through the motions tasks. And that's what my team told me time and time again, they preferred. So we would try to switch off the roles as much as possible. So our standard operating procedure, so in this case for hosting a party, went as far as to define roles within each task or service. So our manager could easily assign one list of tasks to employee A and one to employee B. And again, we were sure to switch on and off so no one ever had to argue over roles or felt like they were being treated unfairly. And of course, as a small business, this was never a perfect science, but we truly did the best we could. And our employees felt that. And they really appreciated walking into a party and saying, okay, I'm employee A today. This is my list of tasks. This is exactly what I need to do in order to have a successful shift. Tomorrow, I see I'm signed to role B for this next party. There's no guesswork. There's no problem solving. There's no decision making. There's no one employee that's going to get to cherry pick tasks tasks for themselves. And it kept the job from getting too unpleasant or too monotonous. And I don't know if you've ever worked in a job environment where there's just one employee that is very domineering or just very loud about, you know, oh, I always do this or this is my task by, again, assigning tasks ahead of time. This prevented any of those dominant personalities from, again, cherry picking those tasks for themselves and kind of leaving those more quiet, non-confrontational employees to just silently perform their least favorite tasks. This was a process that really, really worked for us. And this isn't just to talk about high school and college college students, right? It's the same for stay-at-home moms or working moms that were just working with us for a couple extra hours. They were probably constantly being asked questions and having to make decisions and plan things for their families. So again, I wanted them to walk into their work environment and just be able to have a nice, quiet, very uh, expectable or not expectable, a very um, predictable, (laughs) very predictable shift. So if anyone's a parent out there, I'm sure you can appreciate why that's so important. All right, tip number 10, we're halfway through. I didn't have a detailed or structured employee hierarchy. And this tip stems from the last one. And, you know, these all kind of work together, right? Because in retail, there's inevitably a higher turnover than in most industries. It's just a fact of life. So we chose to only have one manager and we didn't have a detailed hierarchy beyond that. We did try a more detailed hierarchy early on, but we found that it created a lot more confusion, which is exactly the issue that a hierarchy was meant to solve in the first place. So again, this kind of backfired. And this was another thing that kind of stemmed from my corporate roots. So I'm sure that creating shift leaders and lower level managers works well for those larger businesses, like I mentioned, 
But for ours, who typically had less than 15 team members at any given time, and again, experienced a little bit of turnover, we found that the rotation and equal distribution of tasks made things much easier, especially when it came to someone needing to leave or, you know, someone new needed to come in. And an employee leaving or quitting, just to keep in mind, it's not always a reflection on us as a business owner. Sure, sometimes it might be, you know, been there, done that, but the majority of our team members left because they were either going away to school or they had graduated and found full-time work in their field, or maybe it was a mom who was, you know, expecting another child and they wanted to stay home. But hey, guess what? Even those high school and college-age students that quit out of necessity, they stayed in touch and they frequently helped us out over breaks and summers when we were busy and our mobile events and balloon orders and things like that kicked into high gear. Because availabilities, shifts, and team members themselves changed fairly frequently because of this, we found that having one manager who organized everything during the week served us just fine even over the weekend when she wasn't working. So by creating these SOPs and task lists that we were sure to change up between employees, everyone was always on the same page and truly felt like a valued part of the team. Of course, as their employment reached milestones like six or 12 months, we gave raises and increased their incentive-based pay. But again, for us, this was one area where we found that we should actually keep it simple. And that brings me to my next tip, tip 11 we used incentive-based pay. So because, as I mentioned in part one of this episode, it can be very difficult at times as small businesses to compete with big box stores when it comes to pay, we found that incentive-based pay above their normal hourly rate was a great way to keep our team motivated and sales and bookings flowing, all while protecting ourselves by only paying our team extra when extra revenue was being generated. So I'm not saying to pay your team under minimum wage. I'm saying pay a fair wage, but also offer extras on top of that. This is a strategy that I go into depth in, in Play Cafe Academy and Playmaker Society. But let's just say, you know, giving someone a $10 or so bonus when they book a party or sign up a new member, this can increase their pay in an amount that's significant to them while still protecting yourself because, again, you're only paying if those sales come in. And while $10 may not seem groundbreaking to you, you know, as you're listening to this, you might be holding a $10 Starbucks latte right now. But if someone books one party during a five-hour shift and makes an extra $10 for securing that booking, that means an extra $2 an hour for that whole shift. And if they book two or three or more parties, they could double their hourly pay rate or even more. I love giving these fun incentives because it's not enough to turn your team into a crazed salesperson, but it is enough to put a little pep in their step and to really incentivize them to take the time to patiently answer questions and deliver that great customer service, even if they're feeling a little bit overwhelmed. All right, tip number 12, and this is the last one. I didn't have a strict dress code. And this is a controversial one, but I stand by it. When we first opened, I did have a strict dress code. I required a uniform shirt, 
denim pants or jean shorts and non-slip sneakers because I thought this was, you know, casual and, you know, not too formal. I thought it was fun and I thought it was, you know, easy enough for people to abide by. But as I began to manage more and more team members and a mix of ages, you know, teenagers, college students, moms, this got more and more frustrating to enforce. And it was definitely a point of contention amongst the employees if they felt like standards were being upheld more for one person than another. Like, for example, if somebody came in in denim jeans, but they were crazy ripped or had chains that were unsafe or something, and, you know, one person got called out and the other person didn't, or, you know, if one person was pregnant, so they were allowed to wear leggings, but nobody else could. Again, this was a constant source of drama and people were always coming to me with issues or complaints regarding this. So I had to finally ask myself at one point, like, why, why am I enforcing this? So while still abiding by all the safety standards when it came to shoes and jewelry and stuff, I loosened up and I just gave in. (laughs) I still required a uniform shirt, but I got new ones and I allowed our employees to vote and choose their own color sleeves. So we went with, and I show this on my YouTube channel and on my website and things like that, but we had those raglan shirts. So it was, you know, a white body and then the sleeves were different colors and we had long sleeves, we had quarter sleeves and we had a variety of colors. So we had black, pink, green, blue, yellow. So I was still giving people a choice. I provided them two uniform shirts that we paid for, and then they could order more at cost at their own expense. And they loved them. They were so much better than our original like boxy t-shirts. And I let them wear whatever they wanted on the bottom, as long as it was reasonable and appropriate. And we did have like a bulleted list of items of do's and don'ts for what to wear on the bottom. Like for example, couldn't be see-through, couldn't be, you know, above your buttocks, right? We can't have the butt cheeks hanging out, no rips, no chains, nothing that was going to you know, put safety at risk. So we kind of added to these bullet points as time went on, but honestly, they felt like this was so much more reasonable and so much easier to abide by because, you know, these are moms, these are college students, these are high school students. They might be coming from practice or they might be, you know, in a new body that they didn't have a couple months ago, and maybe they can't afford an entirely new wardrobe or new jeans, right? So I really try to be as flexible as possible while still having them appear you know, neat and tidy and somewhat uniform. They loved the balance of not having to put together an outfit or think too hard when it came to what to wear on top while still being able to dress for comfort as they chose on the bottom. And it really took a lot of stress and tension off my shoulders and the manager's shoulders. And by the way, um, you know, a lot of places I've seen will just let employees wear whatever, But this was really confusing because again, our employees were constantly picking up the plate area. They were cleaning bathroom supplies. They were cutting and serving cake at parties. So we did want to have a clear differentiation between our staff and our customers because we did try like a middle ground where I just let people wear whatever on top. That did not work out. It was very, very, very confusing for the customers. We got a lot of complaints. So again, this was a perfect middle ground. And just to wrap this one up, if you have ever tried to get a group of like 12 teenage girls and young adults to abide by an overly specific dress code, you'll know this tip absolutely realistically ended up saving my sanity as a business owner. 
All right. I really hope you enjoyed these last six tips. Again, if you want a condensed version of all of these tips in a PDF that you can save or tuck away for whenever you need it, head to the show notes. You can access it for free very quickly right now. And again, if you found this helpful and you want to see more of this type of episode, kind of these tips that might not be expert recommended, but absolutely worked for me in this particular very nuanced business model, leave a review and let me know or follow me on Instagram. It's at it's Michelle Caruana. My profile is also linked in the show notes and let me know, Hey, I liked these more like honest, raw, you know, uh, down and dirty type of episodes. So let me know because I want to create content that is actually helpful and practical to you and your everyday business, right? Because not everything is as black and white as the experts would like us to believe. All right, have a wonderful day and I will see you right back here on Monday.